We're going to invite the children to be dismissed for children's choir. Why don't you guys come down here and we'll have a word of prayer this morning. Oh, gotcha. Come on down here. So have a word of prayer before you go to your class this morning. Children's choir and children's church, come right down here. It's good to have all of you with us. We're so glad you're here today. Good to see everybody. You know what I got this morning? I got my first Valentine. Somebody here handed me a Valentine this morning, and it says, Happy Valentine's Day. And that's this week, isn't it? That's right. I almost thought I could eat something, but that's not candy. I think that's plastic, so I'm not going to eat that, right? But uh, happy Valentine's Day. I know a lot of you are getting the Valentine's and Valentine's candy. It was named after a saint, Saint Valentine. We don't really know too much about him, but a lot of traditions. But you know, there's one word connected with Valentine's Day. What is it? Where you guys been? Candy. candy. Thank you, Josh. No, not candy, Josh. <laughs> Josh, what is it? Thank you. Love. That's why we draw the hearts on there, right? It's love. And we have a lot of uh, times we get candy and Valentine's to share people that we love. But you know, we're glad you're here today because you know who loves you more than anybody. Who is it? T. God. God loves you so much. You know, I don't. I never want any service to end here without whoever's here knowing how much God loves them and how much God loves you. You know that? God, and you know what's really wonderful? God loves you as much. He loves me as much. He loves all these people as much today as he is ever going to love us. You know, sometimes people think, well, I'll love you if you do this. Then I'm going to love you, right? If you give me a valentine, I'll give you a valentine, right? But God loves us as much today as he is ever going to love us. And I'm just so glad that he loves all of you. He loves everyone here. And if there's anybody here who does not know Christ, the Savior, they can receive God's love today by receiving Jesus Christ and his payment for their sin on the cross of Calvary. God loves you. Aren't you glad? Yeah, thank you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these young people. It's such a privilege to just have them here. They add so much to our service and our ministry, their joy. Just their excitement, Lord, their service. And Lord, we pray as you continue to lead the teachers and leaders, as they continue to worship you and to learn about you, that you'll bless them, not just today, but Lord, I pray you'll use these children uh, this week, wherever they go, to be examples of your love and maybe that they can share your wonderful love with one of their friends this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Okay, you can go to your classes now. Thank you for coming today. Thank you all for coming today. I want to remind you, as I like to do, that your very presence here with us on Sunday morning is a ministry and an encouragement to others. You guys go to Children's Church today there, Krista? Oh! (laughs) And uh, we're glad that you're here today and that you've been an encouragement to other people and just being with us. Thank you, choir, for singing that, that song this morning. Appreciate your ministry um, they come every week, they practice on Wednesday nights, they prepare, and they're here to serve, as all of you are, and we thank you for that. We're going to continue our study t- today and our uh, look at the book of Colossians. And I'm hoping that maybe by now these three key thoughts are beginning to work their way into your minds. They come from chapter 2, where Paul says, my purpose, my goal in this, 
and he, and he tells us that we might be encouraged in heart, united in love. And he goes on to talk about how he wants us to know Christ and be rooted in him. This is our theme for this series from Colossians. I titled my message today, Then, Now, and Then. Words are an interesting thing, aren't they? You know, as a pastor, my life is really revolves around words. I, I, I preach, I teach, I visit people, I talk with them, I counsel. My, my life as a pastor really is, is comprised of a lot having to do with words. Words are an interesting thing. And you think about the background of words and how we use words. Uh, I never really learned languages, foreign languages. My father, even though he had a junior high education, I think could speak five languages just because of that's what he did, where he came from. He had to do that. I really don't speak any other language. I studied Hebrew and Greek, but that's really more academic for Bible study. It's not conversational. I took, in junior high, two years of Spanish, and I, all I can remember is that film strip of Petito going swimming. And I, I can remember, vamos on a dar. I think it means let's go swimming. That really is about as best I can do other than the, the you know, and I mean, I, it's too bad because I, I really didn't. Pay attention, and I, and I appreciate those of you that have learned other languages and those of you that have immigrated uh, to America and have learned English. Um, I really admire, I wish I learned more languages, because I think English can be a challenging language to learn, as I understand. And I was thinking about some of the words, like then. When you think about how the word then can be used. It can be used in the sense of, In 1985, back then, I went to Israel, which I did. But I could also look ahead and say, in 2017, when our plane lands, then I will be in Israel. Because we're going there this spring, of course. About uh, 60 of us, actually, total from people, not all from here, but mostly. Uh, When it lands, I will then be in Israel. I could close my eyes and say, If I use my imagination, I can reflect back on when I was in Israel, and then I can remember, like right now, what it was like being there. So that word then is very flexible. You know, if you were learning a language, you would have to learn those things. And we're going to talk about that today. Then, now, and then. In Colossians chapter 1, I'd like to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and this morning, we are just going to be focusing on a few verses because of the nature of this passage is, is one that we need to take a few minutes and, and spend some time to focus on. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look begin at verse 21. Now, last week we talked about Christ and who he is and uh, the, the previous verses that, that speak of the grandeur of, of who Christ is, and that He is the, the Creator, He is the Sustainer, He is before all things, He is God Himself. And then we have verse 21. And let's just read this, this section. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out from the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become 
a servant, a slave, a minister of this gospel. So I want to go back to where we, we start here. And we're going to talk about uh, where we were, where we are, and where we are going. Then, now, and then. You can remember that, right? Then, now, and then. We're going to talk about, first of all, let's look at this very first verse where Paul says in verse 21, what we were, what we were. And there's some pretty strong language here that that some people would find fairly offensive. Um, But this is is what the Bible says. This is God's word. I appreciate Michael being with us today. Um, You know, uh, we we really support the, the Gideon ministry here. And like he said, every penny that goes into Gideon, these men donate all their time. Every penny goes to the Scriptures. And there are not many ministries. It's one of the reasons why our church is solidly behind Bible study fellowship. We have two groups here on, on Tuesday, a daytime and an evening group. And because these are ministries that are focused on the Bible. And this is God's Word. And even there are times where... They might be challenging things, that, that, but these are things that God wants us to know. This is His Word for us. And God says in His Bible, in verse 21, Once you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Alienated from God. What does that word mean? In the, in the original language, the adjective that is connected in the original Greek here with this does suggest the idea of stranger or foreigner. You know, we get the word alien, right, uh, from this word. And it's the idea in the Old Testament that, that this, might in, this might really be a suggestion here that Paul is especially focusing on the Gentiles, the non-Jews in this, in this congregation at Colossae, who came from a complete ba- pagan background. And they come from this background and, and where they were completely alienated from, the, from God. And Paul tells us in Romans, you were alienated from the promises that God had with his covenant people Israel. His revelation of himself and all the blessings. You were alienated from God. That's a strong word. And the idea here is that, 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 that they are hostile. They are, they are completely separated from God. And Paul says, this is where you came from. The Apostle Paul himself, as a Pharisaic Jew, as, as Steve read in our passage this morning, when Paul says, I became a minister, Paul says that of all the sinners in the world, he says, I am the chief, I am the first in line because of, because of what he did. Remember who Saul of Tarsus was. He was the persecutor of the church. There were people who were killed for their faith because of Saul. There were children who grew up without parents. There were others who, were, who suffered the shame of having to blaspheme the name of Christ because of Saul. He was a one-man wrecking ball, the early church, traveling from city to city. And even as a Pharisaic Jew and one who had grown up in that covenant people relationship with God, certainly in that sense was alienated from God. Paul says, once this is who you were, you were alienated from God. And then he says, and this is strong language. He says, you were an enemy of God. You were at enmity, we might say. You were enemies of God. Friends, that is serious. But the, but the enmity is on our end of it. It was humanity who left God, right? We talked about this last week. When Adam sinned, who went looking for who? 
Adam and Eve were not looking for God. They were hiding. God went looking for them. It's because of sin. It's because of Adam's sin and Eve's sin. And then because of our choices too. We are at enmity with God. We are enemies of God. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, while he thought he was doing God a favor, he was an enemy of God. He was persecuting the church. And the Bible says here, this is what we were then. Then. We were alienated from God. We were enemies of God. That's a strong word. And there's no way to soften it. There is no way to soften it. Like I said, I'm not a language scholar, but I know enough of the Greek here to tell you this is exactly what it says. You can't soften it. That's what it says. And then he goes on to explain even more why this is the case. It's because we were motivated by evil behavior. Look what he says here. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's what the Bible says. That's strong language. And this is who these people were then, back then. They were people who were alienated from God. They were enemies of God. And it was due to their evil behavior. Now, when we think of evil behavior, we might think of certain perverse activity and real overt obvious sinful activity. I really appreciate some of the commentaries I used. Uh, one of the commentaries uh, written by Wall, who actually was professor at uh, Seattle Pacific University. But I really appreciated the way he explained this. And he said, this, this evil is not just perverted behavior, but the hubris of unbelief that characterizes even the best and the brightest. They are content with their own selves, and they have no need for God. This is evil behavior. See, we might think in terms of real pagan perverse behavior, but what he's saying here is this mental attitude that we have no need for God. We, we, are, we are self-sufficient. This is evil behavior. In fact, he goes on to say this, and I quote, Living life as if God did not exist to change our thinking, to accept grace and not our self-sufficiency is the heart of conversion. It requires a paradigm shift. To depend in Christ is to follow his, I like this, to follow his downwardly mobile way in an upwardly mobile world. You know, this idea of a paradigm shift there has to be a fundamental shift in our understanding and thinking when we come to Christ and receive his forgiveness. And we are no longer self-sufficient. We are no longer living as if God did not really matter. He did not really. This is evil thinking. This is evil behavior. And I want you to remember that. I think his comment here that, that this, this can even be of the best and the brightest. But it's evil behavior. Because we are separated from God by our attitude of our self-sufficiency. Maybe the most evil of behavior is the pride in ourselves. So Paul says, this is what you were. This is where you came from. And friends, this is where I came from. When I was at the service yesterday for our brother Bruce Kemper, I went down. Uh, Bruce was very important in our church uh, story. Um, and I was, as I was there, I was thinking to myself, other than family, I probably knew Bruce longer than anybody there because I go back to Emmanuel as a child. 
where Bruce was started his ministry as youth pastor, and uh, and, and 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 as we can, and I think back on our Camp Gilead, and Bruce was the camp director, and I got to go to Camp Gilead one year early before I really should have been there, and I was there at Camp Gilead in third grade. I still remember receiving Christ as my Savior, seeing that flannel graph story, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit opening my heart to my need for salvation. And you might look at this and say, well, really. Uh, Jim, at that point, how much you know, evil behavior, how much enmity with God, how alienated from God were you? Listen, you're either, you're either saved or you're not saved. The Bible makes it clear. The Bible makes it clear. When the Gideons share these Bibles, and I, I, I can remember going over to Ballard High School and waiting for them, sometimes picking up my, my children as they were getting out of school, and the Gideons passing out the orange Bibles to the high school and the kids in the buses. And uh, some kids taking them and throwing them and this and that and everything. And other kids taking them and reading them. And as we've heard, people are saved. you believe that? you believe someone can just open a small Bible that size that Michael showed us, open it and read it, and come to Christ for salvation? you believe that? Listen, you're either saved or you're unsaved. And at that age, as a young boy... God opened my heart for whatever reason. That was, that was his choice. He opened my heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that's what I was. And that's, don't kid yourselves, that's what you were. That's what you were before you received Christ as Savior. You were alienated from God. You were an enemy on your behalf to God. And your sinful behavior of pride that you don't need the gospel. You don't need God. You were motivated by that evil. That's who you were, friends. And we need to come to understand and appreciate that. That's who we were. Paul goes on to say, then, where we are now. And I want you to notice, I really, I really, this is a Paul, this is a Paulinism, if you don't mind me saying. You'll see this in his writings, and I always appreciate this. In verse 22, this verse begins, But now, just like in Ephesians, Paul goes through the same thing. In Ephesians chapter 2, he does the same thing. He lists all the things that these people were, and he comes to that, and then he says, and then he says, But now, but now, verse 13 of chapter 2, after listing all these things separated from Israel, separated from the promises, without hope, without God, verse chapter 2, 13 of Ephesians, but now, now then, now then, here's what we are, but now, who are we presently in Jesus Christ? Now look at this. Paul says, you have been reconciled to God. We seek reconciliation. And when we do counseling as Christian counselors, our goal is to, is to seek reconciliation, to bring parties that have been separated, maybe at enmity with each other, and to bring them back together, to reconcile them to God. And Paul says, this is what you were. Don't kid yourselves. This is what you were. But now, but now you are reconciled to God, to God. We're talking about God here reconciled to God. This is who we are now. But now, and that is thrown to the front of this sentence for emphasis, or this phrase, it's thrown to the front. And this word reconciled is the main verb in this whole passage here. This is the main verb. This is the key thought 
This is where everything is coming to and moving out of. But now, this is what you were. This is what you were. This is what you were. But now, you are reconciled to God. Now, you are reconciled to God. You have been brought back to God. And you notice, he says here, that this, and this is sort of unusual the way he says this. You have been reconciled, but now, and I want you to notice too, and the NIV has this correct here, but now he has reconciled you. It is God who takes the initiative. You know, there are different views on what we call election in the Christian faith, and I'm sure in this room today there are different views on election, but I think we can all agree, we can all agree that is the Holy Spirit that has to open your heart to the gospel. Think about your salvation experience. Think about when you came to Christ. Was it not the Holy Spirit that opened your heart and you responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Paul, and Paul says here, but now he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you. You have not reconciled him. God has taken initiative. Amen? It is God who goes looking. It is God who comes to us. It is God who took the initiative. And he did this, and notice, by Christ's physical body. And it's interesting, there, there are two words in the, in the Greek, sarx and soma, that one is really the word for flesh, and one is really a word for body in the sense of the totality of our, of our being, of our existence. And he puts these two together, and so the NIV has, has, has chosen to translate this here to emphasize it through his physical body his that jesus christ became a human being god in flesh completely god completely man and by doing so he went to the cross of calvary and through death he says for now he has reconciled you by christ's physical body through death and so this whole phrase here really is focusing on the literal physical nature of Jesus Christ. And there were so many early Christian heresies that, that floated around that people just could not buy this. People in the Greek world could not buy this. There was a heresy that said that, that, that Christ inhabited Jesus at his baptism and left him in the garden because God could never die on the cross at Calvary. There was other heresies that said, well, he really, he really appeared to be a human but he really wasn't a human. He just appeared to be a human. And the early Christian church, as they, as they went through and hammered out the exact words to use to express our belief, made it very clear that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully God. And friends, this is essential to our understanding of salvation. And it's simply because only God, only God, is intrinsically, completely holy. Only God. And only a holy sacrifice could pay for my sins. But only a human could take my place. And so it is essential for the Christian faith, this understanding that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully human. And because of that, Paul makes it clear here that he went to the cross and he died physically. He died. Think of that. Think of that for a moment. Jesus Christ was fully God. And he died on the cross at Calvary. 
He was fully God, fully man, completely in fleshly body, in physical existence. And he died. And this is the key to our understanding of reconciliation. Then you were this. Now you are reconciled. And then we go back to then. What will we be? What is our future? And now this one I want to be a little careful with because I think the focus here is on something that's going to be in the future. But in a sense, it's, and this is kind of difficult, it's already taken place. You know, some theologians have coined the phrase talking about these things. Already, not yet. It's already here, but it's not fully yet. And in a sense, that is true. The things we're going to talk about in the next verse that are so important to our understanding of what God has done for us and what he is going to do with us have already started in our life. But I think the focus here is this is what is going to happen. We're we're still in verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present. God is going, Christ is going to be, we're going to be presented in Christ to God. To present. And the, the terminology here is a combination of Old Testament sacrificial language and also legal language. This is very legal language here. Having to do with judges and our standing and accusations. It's a legal, it's legal terminology. And here's what he says. Because of Christ's death on the cross, because he was the full God and fully man, because God loved us and reconciled, here's what he is going to do. Now think about this, friends. Think about this. We are going to be presented through death. Christ is going to present you, I'm in verse 22, holy in his sight. Do you really believe that? Do you feel holy today? A few of you are shaking your head. <laughs> okay. No, none of us want to be too obvious about it, but I'll, I'm up front, so i got to tell you, I don't feel holy. I don't always feel holy. I don't feel holy. We all, all of us, are better acquainted with our own inadequacies, our own human condition, our own sins, our own fallings and failings more than anybody else. We don't always feel holy. But the Bible says, if we believe the Bible... That Christ is going to present us holy, holy, holy before God. Holy. Not only that, but he goes on to say, without blemish, perfect. You remember the sacrifice in the Old Testament, Passover lamb, one-year-old lamb, that was what? Without blemish. You didn't bring the lamb that was going to die anyway. That is not a sacrifice. You come today. We're going to receive an offering for Gideon's this morning. And it's going to be a generous offering because that's who we are when it comes to these kind of ministries. Uh, We're not a congregation made up of a bunch of rich people. We're just common people. But we give generously to these ministries because we give sacrificially. We 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 don't just give because there's there's leftover. We give of of what God has given to us because it's a sacrifice. The lamb that was going to die anyway is not a sacrifice. 
You give the lamb that is the most expensive lamb you have because it represented Christ. And the Bible says, because Christ was without blemish, we are going to be presented for all eternity before God, holy and without blemish, perfect. Think of that. Perfect before God. And then he says this, free from accusation. Free from accusation. One of my favorite passages is in uh, the book of Zechariah the prophet. He's in chapter 2 where, where the, Satan comes before God and he, and he is accusing Joshua the high priest. He's accusing him. He has right to accuse him from a, because, because the Jews have come back from Babylon. They are unclean. They've been in an unclean land. They are trying to rebuild their, their temple. They are going to sacrifice in this setting where they've come from uncleanness. And Satan is there accusing, accusing Joshua. And I think his accusation is, he, what do you, he has no right to do this. Look at him. Look at these people. Look where they've come from. And you know what God says? God says, how dare you, Satan? And he says it twice. How dare you accuse him? If I say he's clean, he's clean. Take off his clothes. Is he not a burning ember that I have snatched from the fire? Yes, it was about to go out, but I took it from the fire. I have put it back here in Jerusalem. They are going to worship me. Don't you dare call him unclean. We are going to be free from accusation. And friends, if Satan ever wants to accuse before God because of our sins and our inadequacies, God will say, how dare you accuse them? I have claimed, this is judge's language, I have claimed they are free. Listen, friends, this is what we have experienced. Then we were this. Now we are reconciled. And then our hope and our belief is that we will be presented before God holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. What else could you ask for? What else is left? God has done this for us through Jesus Christ. So what should we do? What do we do now? Yes, there is the temptation to say, well, if that's the case, I don't have to worry about anything. I can do whatever I want because I'm free. Jesus died for me and I'm free. What do we do now? But Paul goes on to say this. I want, we're going to wrap up with this verse here. Paul says this in the last verse. You notice it begins in verse 23. If. If you continue. Now this, this could be taken as a condition. If you continue, you'll be saved. If you don't continue, you won't be saved. And we could talk a lot about this. But I just want to share some of the commentaries that, that I use. And these, these were commentaries that... Uh, you know, solid evangelical uh, word studies. But that the idea here is that Paul is indicating a confidence about their present spiritual condition. You'll see this in chapter 2. And you'll see this in verse 5 where Paul says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are, how firm your faith in Christ is. The, the word biblical commentary series, which is an excellent exegetical study of the Greek language, suggests this, that we might translate it, provided that, and does not so much express doubt, but an understanding of, provided that, this is what's going to happen. 
But I want you to focus on what, what, either way, what he says here. Let's read it that way. Provided you continue in your faith, and I want you to notice as we wrap this up this morning, number one, this is a continual walk. God has called us to walk in this faith, in the faith, the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian faith. We are asked to walk in this faith. We talked about this a few weeks ago, to walk in Christ. We are called to be established and firm. If you continue in your faith, established and firm. These are building terminologies. These are, these are languages of foundation. These are languages of, of how you would build a building like this. I mean, I love this building here. I love the feeling of being in this building. I remember being the age of these kids that walked out here a little while ago. And I remember sometimes sitting over there with my mom on Sunday night, right back over there, and just looking at this building and, and feeling just the security. As dumb as it may sound, I always kind of thought of these, of these uh, beams here as the hands of God. The fingers of God holding up this place and, and holding us up. I just I love the feeling of this building. I have told you before too, though, but I don't think that rock wall is holding anything up because if it is, you're in trouble over here. I think it's I think it's ornamental. I could be wrong, Craig, but you correct me on that. But I just felt the security of the sturdiness and the foundation. and it reminded me of being in the hand of God. And Paul says, continue. This is why we teach the Bible. This is why the children that just left here, why we teach them the Bible. Our young people, we teach the Bible. We want you to grow close to Christ. You come to know Him. Knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. And Paul says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and finally, not moved away from the hope of the Gospel. Not moved away from the hope of the Gospel. Listen, friends. We are now what we didn't used to be. We were separated from God. We have now been reconciled. And because we have been reconciled, we will be presented to God. When we stand before Him, we will be presented in His sight. Think of that. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for us. And so Paul says, listen, this is the gospel. The last part of that verse. Creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The passage that Steve read to us this morning from Timothy. It's a powerful passage. The Apostle Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying. It deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, of whom I am chief. I am first. Meaning I was the first in line. But why did, why did he save Saul? Why did he do that? Paul tells us. It's very simple. It's not complicated. He did this. For that very reason. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Don't ever let anybody say, I'm beyond hope. I'm beyond hope. Paul says, that's why I was saved. So if anybody ever dares say that, point them to Saul of Tarsus persecutor of the church who was called to be a servant 
and an apostle and to herald the good news of Jesus Christ. And this gospel, friends, is going all around the world. The Gideons translated the Bible, the languages. How many, how many are going to be, how many have we been here now for an hour? How many Bibles have been given out? <laughs> how many? 7,200 Bibles have been given out in the hour that we've been here. Uh, Bob and Patty Tunnell are with us today, and we're going to, one of these days, have a chance when they come up to hear about their ministries that they take excursions to the Middle East to share the gospel of Jesus. And people are being saved. Lives are being changed. Lives are being changed. Why? Because the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? At this time, we're going to receive an offering, and then we're going to close our service with a song. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. And I would like to encourage you to be generous today with the Gideon ministry. Every penny that you give this morning is going to the work of giving out Bibles. Every cent. There's no administrative costs. They pay all their own administrative costs. And uh, we're just, you know, we missed last year. There was sort of a communication glitch, and we missed last year having the Gideon with us. So we have to, we have two years worth here now, okay? And uh, so let's be generous today, and let's give an offering to the Gideon ministry. Let me bless it, and then we're going to sing our closing hymn. Father, we're going to ask you, as this offering is given today, uh, Lord, we are a thankful people. We are truly a blessed people. When we think about what we've just read in your scriptures this morning, that we are going to be presented holy and blameless without accusation because you've reconciled. You have reconciled us to you because you love us so much. And Lord, I want to pray that every cent that is given today, that as these Bibles continue to go out, we know lives are going to be changed for eternity. And there will be men, women, boys, girls, We're going to stand before you holy and blameless because of the simple message of the gospel in these Bibles. So bless this offering in a wonderful way. May we be generous towards you. In Christ's name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You can imagine when that word came back to Jerusalem, to those people whose lives had been wrecked by Saul of Tarsus. Hey, it's okay. Saul's a Christian. What do you think they would have said? What? Are you kidding me? Listen, friends, don't quit praying. Don't ever give up. Some of you here are testimony to that story. Somewhere today, somewhere today, somewhere right now, some of the most unlikely candidates that you could imagine are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, if you'd like to come and pray with somebody and receive Christ as Savior, Pastor Gary is going to be up here after the service. Or if you just have a prayer need today, if you'd like to come and just have a word of prayer with one of the pastors, uh, Gary will be up here. We'd love to invite you to come up and just have a word of prayer. Um, We want to be here to serve you. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Serve the Lord with joy and gladness this week. Michael, come and join me in back. And uh, if you have any questions about Gideon's or anything, be sure and ask Michael. He's here to share with us today. God bless you. Come on, Michael. Come and join us with us.